religious extremists use technology to recruit vulnerable individuals to a violent cause. Google is developing ways to combat this extremism through its platforms, namely YouTube. When a user looks for inflammatory religious or supremacist content, YouTube's redirect method instead sends those users towards anti-terrorist videos. Google's fight against extremism compelled writer Lachlan Bloom to write an article called The Coming Battle, AI, Extremism, and the New War of Ideas. Lachlan joins the show to discuss the societal implications of giant internet providers controlling our information flow, for better or worse. Lachlan is a science fiction writer, most recently of The Wave, a book that mixes existentialism with quantum physics. Our reality is defined by what we observe, and this theme courses through our conversation, from religion to Twitter to artificial intelligence. Lachlan Bloom is an author, most recently of the book The Wave. Lachlan, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. It's good to be here. We connected because I read an article of yours about AI and extremism, and I want to discuss some of those topics and some other topics around writing and journalism in the age of artificial intelligence, uh, where we're living today. So let's start off by talking about some of the topics that you explore in your article. Describe the difference in the role that religion plays in the secular West and in more religious places in the world. And you know, for listeners who are used to software engineering, we will get into the implications of kind of modern day religion i should first off state that i'm not uh, coming to this as a software engineer i did i studied physics a long time ago now but um I, i the article i was really the impetus for it was the the recent news that google is looking to tackle extremism online through ai and various right. other means so for for me the the difference between religion in, in the West and in, in other places in the world, it, it really comes down to the, the term secular and that separation between the church and state or between an organized religious societal structure and sort of day-to-day running of infrastructure and so on. And I think you can you can see quite clear differences in, in the way that societies operate in, in different parts of the world. It's not, not not necessarily just making the West secular and other parts non-secular. I think, I mean, there's, there's parts of the West that are very much non-secular and other parts of the world that, that, that are secular. But where the, the day-to-day operation of society is, is controlled by religious ideas, it, it, it just naturally leads to different outcomes and different behaviors from, from people because the 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 limits of freedom and the permissible activity are, are automatically changed depending on whether whether there there's freedom to express a opposing religious view or, or not mm. do you think that the difference in the wide the, the degree to which religion is widespread in a given culture how heavily is that influenced by the degree to which technology and the newest technology available permeates that culture? Well, I, I think in this sort of secular West, I'm speaking from London, and and I, I, I get the same impression from sort of East Coast US and you know places where technology is 
is quite prevalent and quite sort of embedded in society. I think there's a general sort of sense that the more that technology is taken up by society, the more that these sort of old, old fashioned ideas of religion and uh, traditions will sort of just naturally fade away. And I mean, certainly, if you look at the sort of Christian tradition in in Western Europe, there there has been some sort of interplay between the industrial revolution and the technolization of society that has followed that uh, over the last sort of 200 years and a sort of steady ebbing away of, of control from from the church but i i don't feel that those two things are necessarily linked and going forward there's not necessarily any intrinsic connection between more adoption of technology and and less power to religious religious mm. control Mm. So somebody like me, I don't know about your history, but I have never lived in a culture where religion is viewed as deeply intermingled with the society. I've lived in America my entire life. I've never visited one of these places. And I think that there, so there are certain places in the world where religion plays a really, really big role in just everyday life. And the difference in cultures between a, a more secular culture where religion does not play a role in everyday life and one a culture in which it does play an everyday role my sense is that this causes a, a a deep lack of understanding and lack of empathy of the other the other culture whichever from whichever point you're standing at uh, what kinds of problems does that disparity in how religion is a part of society what kinds of problems does that lead to well, I, I mean, I think you can you can see the the different problems that are appearing in different ways in different places in in the world. In in terms of what what's sort of happened in in recent years, you can you can see, for instance, in Turkey recently, there's there's been quite a rapid change from a secular society to what appears to be a, a lot more conservative religious society, and as friction between two opposing viewpoints on how society should be structured grows there there's is naturally going to be sort of flashpoints i i i think when 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 you're looking at a a, a large mass like a, a country scale organization and a sort of fundamental difference in perception on on how society should be ordered whether whether people should be free to have a religious perspective that they choose or whether the society should be more homogenous those are quite different viewpoints and when when you try to join those together within within a bigger structure then i think you you, you can have flashpoints and as has happened in various places around the world this can sometimes lead to violence or or can can lead to very sort of rapid change in in the way that the previously stable systems have sort of fallen apart or or changed. Mm-hmm. So, from my point of view as a secular Westerner, I might conclude that religion is this idea that is basically tied to more primitive impulses, and religion was just the thing that kind of took us from uh, people that were acting in in extremely small groups or just in in tribal groups or or just acting as individuals religion was just the first 
binding idea that got people to operate together in, in large groups. And ultimately, it's just a it's going to be a fossil in our advancement as a large culture. So, you know, a secular Westerner might conclude that all religion is going to eventually go towards steady, harmless decline. And, and you know, this is going to go away. We're just going to move towards a, a time when, when everybody is secular. Do you think that's a rational conclusion, or is there an alternate conclusion where religion, the, the amount of religion in the world stays the same or, or even grows? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's certainly a possibility, that, that viewpoint. I wouldn't by any means say that that, that was a certainty or, or an inevitability at all. I, I think there's lots of factors that, that sort of drive people towards religious thoughts and experiences. And it, it's not purely tied to sort of a subsistence level need to have a cohesive society. I mean, that that is certainly seems to be a factor in, in in some smaller societies but i think the the urge to have some kind of higher consciousness or uh to move towards some understanding of of existence that it incorporates elements more than just the mechanistic operation of the world around us is is something that, that, that is quite inherent for a lot of people so to completely remove that from people's lives is is quite a tall order and if you then balance that against the fact that, you know, the majority of people on the planet today subscribe to a faith and from projections, it looks like the, the proportion of people subscribing to a faith may, may in fact be increasing rather than decreasing. Mm. The the outlook is, I, I would feel not not too likely that, that there, will, there will be a, that gradual attrition, but r- rather the opposite, that the, there's almost a, a situation where more fuel can be put on the fire to to religiousize people if if, that, if that's a word <laughs> to sure. evangelize and to promote a, a particular viewpoint over over another as as points of friction or tension multiply right and the reason i'm setting the stage here is to illustrate that the a secular future is not a foregone conclusion i think a lot of people in technology in particular kind of assume that just you know, the more evolved of an intellect you are, the more secular you are. And, you know, I'm not going to debate that or discuss that, but one way or another, it's not a foregone conclusion that there is going to be less religion in the future. And I think this is a good way to segue into the discussion of Google putting more work into combating extremism, because, you know, I think extremism is often a product of when when people don't really have anything else in their life but religion their you know their circumstances are such that you know their reality is sometimes like a a living hell and kind of the only way to frame their outlook uh, optimistically or the easiest way to frame their outlook optimistically is is kind of through the eyes of religion and the combination of sets sets of religious beliefs and an extremely bitter outlook on the world that's kind of justified if you get born into a living hell you know turns you into something towards extremism but google what is google doing to combat extremism okay so i I have to confess i'm not coming at this as a software engineer so my my understanding of what what they're doing the most recent announcement which was kind of my impetus at looking looking at this 
topic is that they'd announced that they, they're using AI and the various means that they've developed in targeted advertising to look through the YouTube content and identify users that are at risk of radicalization, identify content that that may be used in the process of radicalization, and then to flag that up and to work with human operators to refine this AI and improve the way that, that they can identify essentially vulnerable individuals that are vulnerable to to radicalization online and then I, I i guess they will either share that information with the police or try to steer the user's uh, content consumption towards anti-extremist views or anti-extremist content do you think that this is a plausible way of fighting extremism can extremism be combated through manipulating the information flows yeah i mean i think this is absolutely I mean, you, you just need to look at a company like Google that has, in the space of not very many years, risen to being one of the most powerful companies in the world. And they're, essentially, their entire business model is, is based on manipulating data flows and understanding their users' psychological desires and needs and reacting to those to produce content, or n- not produce content themselves, but to serve them content that entices them to carry on using it, using their service. Um, I mean, I, I think if you look at any of the sort of major internet companies today, all of them are playing the same game, which is to capture users' attention. And to be able to to do that, to capture a user's attention and to increase the amount of time on site or time in app or whatever metric the company uses to monitor their users, they, they what they have to be able to do is be really adept at, at manipulating the user psychology to make them always want a little bit more. So they 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 always click through to that that next page or scroll down to that next article. And I, for me, I think that 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 very same process, when powered even more strongly by artificial intelligence algorithms, can can absolutely be used to to sway users either away from extremist content or and and this is the the issue that that is concerning or, or could be used in the reverse way to to sway users towards the extremist content yeah well i wonder who are the people that they're going to sway because i can imagine so i've heard of these like westerners like kid in his basement 18 year old american kid i think this was in america but just like you know normal kid growing up read some extremists read enough extremist content on the internet about this was al-qaeda i think or isis or something to inspire him to go off and like fight for isis like make his way uh over to some combat zone and 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 fight for essentially ex- extremist organization and I think like a solo actor like that is somebody who's pliant and maybe Google by serving them some different YouTube videos instead of the extremist ones that they're searching for, they could sway them. But, you know, the the large swaths of extremist people who are organizing in these living hells, like I said, 
I can't imagine these people really being uh, meaningfully impacted by seeing like a different YouTube video when they were searching for the, like the latest extremist content. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, absolutely. There's there's different reasons why why people would subscribe to a particular worldview, and if you're living in the middle of a, a war zone, say, it's not a question of being swayed into thinking about guns or bombs or fighting it's a daily occurrence and you're either going to have to pick up a gun and do something or or sit there and be sort of blown up so that i mean that's a very different situation from somebody sitting in idaho somewhere and having no threat whatsoever and deciding to get on a plane and go to syria and you know get involved in armed warfare but i think there are also shades of manipulation from fully radicalizing someone who has no connection to Syria to, to, to fly there and start fighting to uh, manipulating people to be pro or anti a particular campaign. And um, I mean, I, I think this, this is taking place not just within the sphere of religion, but I, I mean, the, there's lots of discussion of what, how, how much the recent US election, for instance, how much that was swayed by hacking or manipulation of social media uh, the, there is you know a similar sort of concerns in, in play there that it's not it's not necessarily a case that somebody might be f- fully radicalized but if, it, if it's just enough of a manipulation to tip the balance in favor of a particular outcome that in in some cases that might that might be enough to enact quite a, a major change in, in in say a country yeah so to that point, you know, part of the thrust of your article is that these types of tools, the manipulation of information flow, these could potentially get democratized and extremists could get control of these kinds of tools. And when I was reading that, I was like, well, they already have. And that's what happened in this election. I, I mean, what I've seen much more evidence of than than hacking, and you know, maybe, I'm, I'm not going to like you know debate whether or not there was hacking because I, I honestly don't know. But what there surely was was really crafty use of highly targeted Facebook ads, and it's I think it's strange that there is not more commentary on this. I mean, people talk about fake news, but what is not fake is if I send a paid advertisement that is essentially, you know, just paid promoted content to an extremely targeted audience that I'm trying to essentially radicalize. And and this is a this is a democratized democratized tool for controlling controlling what what people think. Uh and and you know I I don't blame Facebook for it and I think Facebook has taken a hard look at themselves, but I, I do think it's strange that there's not more discussion around this completely legal yet unequivocally dangerous uh, way of of uh, of inserting information into somebody's uh, somebody's reality. Hmm. There's not as much discussion of this as there is of like oh this, this kind of malicious uh, hacking that may or may not have occurred that we don't have really like kind of great public understanding of. It's very. It's much easier to understand. Okay, if I pay for Facebook ads to be promoted, and I I insert, uh, you know, commentary about Hillary Clinton being a lizard and having a secret, you know, lizard family that she's going to 
you know, uh, put in the White House basement if she gets elected president. This is. It seems like this should be a much easier thing to have a conversation about, and yet nobody's having a conversation about it. Yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. The, that change between uh, a discussion about hacking, which obviously that is that is a separate issue, and it, if it, if it is proven that that is something that people should be concerned about as well. But the very plain and straightforward process of just manipulating millions of people through targeted content that is a lot more pervasive and a lot more dangerous i think in the, in the long run and i think there's the two different aspects of that in in most of the discussion i've seen anyway of the recent election it, it seems to be suggested that it was it was mainly sort of not entirely manually done but it was is mainly targeting groups uh, of individuals to try and uh, kind of sway them one way or another to, towards one political party or the other but there was not much evidence that there were uh, AI algorithms behind this trying to target individuals or understand what individuals were doing and I, from my understanding of the the sort of improvements in machine learning I think that that is the next sort of stage you know the next election maybe or the one beyond that the 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 power to be able to sort of drill down to an individual and understand or for the machine learning algorithm to understand that person's desires and fears at a very deep level a, a level you know almost deeper than the person themselves understands or certainly than their close friends or family mm. once once that power is is readily targetable into a campaign then there's really very little that an individual can do to to withstand that because obviously if if you if you're receiving content that that is specifically targeted to your own deepest desires and fears it's going to be very hard for you to resist that and not 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 read it and click on it you know where when when google is trying to work out what what sort of trainers you might like and throws up an ad showing you a pair of trainers you may think oh those look really good i want to buy them but at some point you're somewhere in your brain you you realize as well this is this is an advert for google i'm going to ignore that i don't i don't need another pair of trainers and and move on whereas if you if you see content that seems to relate to your your you know your deepest kind of spiritual level and is telling you or seems to be portraying a path towards a more fulfilled life it's going to be hard for anybody to to ignore that and not click through and i think that that is then the the area where it, there's potential for competing interests to start to sort of uh, arms race in capturing people's attention and capturing specifically people's attention to do with their own personal progression and, and development yeah the the imaginary example that i think of is like let's say like coke and pepsi are competing to get me as a customer and they're both trying to make the best let's say they're trying to make the boat they're both trying to make the best computer generated advertisement for me and coke you know makes a great ad about uh, like a like a it, it you know figures out okay you know i'm i you know, I, I love my mom, just like, you know, any normal 
uh, or any most you know most people have a have a good relationship with their mom or at least they love their mom and so coke makes a computer generated advertisement of my mom you know serving a coke to a computer generated image of me and i'm like wow that really makes me want a coke it really makes me have a strong affinity for coke and then i see an ad for pepsi and it's like a computer generated simulation of some girl that Facebook has detected, you know, oh, I probably have a crush on this girl, you know, given my my behavioral interactions with her content on Facebook. And I'm like, wow, well, that's even more compelling. Now I really want a Pepsi. And, you know, and that's, that's kind of like a trivial example. And that's like where we're going to go. But then you imagine, okay, so what would the political parties be motivated to do? I mean, what on earth would they be capable of doing? And so, so do you have any ideas for, you know, are there, are there, limitations that that these companies the ethical limitations that these companies should be should be putting on themselves or putting on the content or putting on the degree of targeting or are was i guess i guess your article was more of a uh, open-ended like commentary rather than an idea about preventative measures (laughs) yeah i mean i i think obviously the 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 steps that google have announced um were the kind of preventative measures within that sphere of religious radicalization and you can see the rationale for google taking these steps they've they've got a a platform youtube that serves up countless billions of hours of of content and their primary purpose is to create revenue and continue creating revenue into the future so if they if they see something that could potentially be quite damaging to their brand for instance having people radicalized and killing other people due to content on youtube they they naturally would seek to to limit that and as they've done they've implemented this program to to identify people that are vulnerable and then flag them up and try to to steer them away from radicalization i think once it's broadened out to that the sort of scenario you describe where you've got a Pepsi versus Cola and they're both fighting for your attention, but not, not just over buying a soft drink, but over the sort of person you're, you're going to be and the sort of person you want to be. I I don't see how it's even feasible to put any, any limits on, on that other than living in a society that has a very draconian conservative outlook and says that this is everyone acts and thinks the same and if you if you diverge from this then you're breaking the law and you know you have your head chopped off this as soon as you allow freedom of choice and expression there will naturally people will naturally use the tools at their hand to spread you know their their viewpoint and i think one of the points i was getting at in the article is what once once organized religious groups with serious funding behind them figure out the the power of artificial intelligence and and the power to really deeply connect with individuals all around the world then i i can't see any rational situation where a a well-funded religious group wouldn't use that power to try and convert as many people as possible to their particular point of view and that that is the concern for for me the concerning issue is when you have rather than coke and pepsi fighting over selling a coke you have two large religious organizations fighting over the conversion of 
say unbelievers that, that there's a lot of fuel for for conflict there i think potentially mm-hmm. well it does seem like facebook and google are taking ideological stances that you know they're just saying okay well with these you know, these kinds of people they're just going to filter out the kinds of submissions that they're going to make right i mean aren't aren't these kinds of extremist attempts to sway public opinion you know the ones that are unabashedly associated with unabashedly kind of you know like the kkk like i i can't imagine facebook allowing the kkk to run advertisements on facebook and and, and that's within facebook's right as as a giant well-established platform so I, are you saying that you think there are, are risks of these extremist organizations just sneaking past the filters or or you think that these giants like google or facebook would just allow this kind of material to be propagated yeah i mean i think there's there is a continuum for of uh, of offensive content or, or well there's a continuum of content uh, of all sorts and if you took look at something like the kkk it's sort of white supremacist quite extremist organization that that is uh, yeah facebook is not going to allow those posts onto their site but i i mean i i don't know the full sort of media landscape in the states but there, there certainly seem to be a lot of less less extreme versions of the same ideology pushed through sort of maybe more not mainstream but not the sort of organization that would get flagged up by facebook for example so so you're talking Wait, about Breitbart. Breitbart, for example, <laughs> is one that springs to mind. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure there's others. Uh, and, you know, I, you could easily imagine organizations like Breitbart pushing a very similar agenda to the KKK in, in, a, in mm. a different way, but managing to sway quite a large proportion of the population's opinion, even if it's only to nudge that opinion uh, one notch towards the way they see things that mm-hmm. is a significant change and if that is being done programmatically then all they need to do is pour more money into bigger servers and they can not move it two notches towards that direction if, if you see what i mean it becomes it becomes an arms race because it's not about people face to face evangelizing and saying well i i'm a white supremacist and i think this and i'm I've got this crazy view and I've got that crazy view. It becomes about whoever has the, the the best AI systems and the most power to target as many people. And obviously there are limits to that. You know, somebody's not just going to open their open their browser, see something and instantly be radicalized or taken to an extremist point of view because because they, there's a, a lot of funding behind getting a, an advert shown to them. But if if over a period of months and years the there's a continued pressure to move move people's awareness and people's prejudices one way or another then i, I think there's there, there definitely seems to be evidence from the way that the, the internet companies have, have grown and the way they operate that that, that, that can be done and it, it can only the speed at which it can be done and the effectiveness of it can is only likely to improve from from what i can see you're imagining an, an, uh, an organization that has the, the tech savvy of the tech and media savvy of like a BuzzFeed, but the the extremism of an ISIS or a KKK. And I was asking if you think that there is a enough of an overlap between 
tech savvy and extremism? Like, are there people in these extremist organizations that would be tech savvy enough to actually adopt these tools and use them effectively? Yeah, I mean, I think at, at the moment, uh, my sense is that there probably isn't, but I would imagine that that would change and that can change quite rapidly as people within the sort of more extremist organizations realize the potential there, then it's not hard for people to, to, to learn these skills. And I'm not convinced that, you know, as we were talking earlier, that purely the use and learning of technology is enough to, to dissuade people from any kind of crazy thoughts. I, I, I think there's, it's certainly becoming easier. It seems to be becoming easier to harness the power of of AI and to do so in a a more user friendly way, I guess you, you don't you don't necessarily need to get so deep into the tech to be able to have a system up and running that can can be really quite powerful in the way that it analyzes and understands users. And I mean, I think that also comes issue of, of how much anybody understands the AI. I mean, it's it's it is able to target the these desires and fears within users, but that's not to say that the the people that program it necessarily need to or or want to as long as it achieves mm -hmm. the outcomes that it's set to achieve then whatever is happening within the black box of the servers is it's in a sense irrelevant if it's turned loose on a user base of 10 million users and within two months it has managed to get five percent of those people to you know, click on a specific link or, or move towards whichever metric the people behind the organization want it to move towards, then how it did that, or what, what it's understanding through the statistical analysis of the users is, is in a sense irrelevant. It's, it's done what it, it, it's meant to do, which is, is fundamentally different from a situation where you have people trying to evangelize and they have a particular belief about the way the world is and they're trying to convince people through natural language and speaking to people essentially or it may be you have a extreme an extremist who's working at Breitbart and sits down and tries to write an article that that will explain why their worldview is right but they they're doing that in a desire to connect with other human beings through written language and that is not the way that an AI is going to approach the problem. It's going to look at the data set and work out the best way to achieve its its aims, whatever those should be. Yeah, and I think one analogy you could draw is WordPress is not very hard to use these days. Like certainly there are extremists out there that are setting up WordPress blogs and that's where AI is going to be in, in five or 10 years. Like the, the AI that's, or even shorter, the AI that's today is somewhat hard to configure and hard to build. It's going to be put into easy-to-use user interfaces where you just kind of state your intentions and the AI will, will do the work, will do the, the difficult plumbing for hmm. you. So it's not hard to imagine this stuff being democratized from my point of view. I want to ask you about writing because you're an author you know, I, I used to have some aims to, to become an author. You know, eventually I, I gave it up in part because I came to the conclusion that the world is just getting so crazy and it's moving so fast. And, you know, maybe it's always felt this way, but I just came to the conclusion that you can't write 
interesting fiction these days because there's no way that you could even come close to matching reality or competing like competing with the absurdity of reality. How do you write interesting fiction or worthwhile fiction these days when the real world is so crazy? I think I mean I think that's a very good good point in terms of the uh, the amount of crazy stuff you, you, it seems almost on a daily basis there's there's something that you think that that would have made a, a great film or maybe it will make a great film in in a couple of years time and the number of of sort of cr- crazy coincidences or crazy stories you read is is definitely growing i mean for me the the whole kind of process of of writing fiction is is in in a way really to kind of question which parts of those reality are are kind of real what what that what that kind of means really i I'm, i mean most of my fiction is not i guess i don't i don't write, write a lot of sort of social realism so i'm not or kind of thrillers it's it's more i guess literary fiction is a genre not i don't like the the name of the genre but more looking at what how fiction itself works and i think i mean for me the the interesting thing is 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 how we relate to reality rather than what necessarily is is happening in reality at at the moment and that in a a large sense i'd say the way that we relate to reality is is through language and through words essentially we i mean our our identity our sense of self if you look at the most of the evidence from modern neuroscience we have a sort of experiencing self which is sort of the operation of our body and there is also this narrating self or narrative self that is in some sense a some sort of real scientific sense is, is a fiction it's not it's not something we can locate to a particular part of the brain or to a- any particular process that's happening in the brain it's something that that seems to be created after the event when we look when we look back on a holiday we had last year we have a sense we we remember it we we feel that was ourselves there and embodied in that place but when we remember it in five years time the way we remember it will be different and the, the way we understand ourselves is constantly changing but in retrospect and that is for me anyway in, intrinsically tied into our use of language i think without without language then mm. the people that we we think we are would be very different i mean we'd be essentially not not conscious I, I i don't see any way that we could have the same consciousness anyway that we have without having discovered or invented or at some point language coming into existence thousands of years ago and then the process since then of, of developing that and creating a culture and society that's intrinsically based on on these interactions and speech and written language so uh, for me it's kind of fascinating to to write fiction to to try and understand for m- myself essentially wh- what what things are are real and which things are not real in kind of dig a little bit deeper into what part of the language is is something that is merely illusory and it can pass and what what is really tying into something something deeper yeah your writing overlaps physics and fiction so you have a background in physics and you write fiction and you play with these themes of 
what is the dividing line between observation and reality. And I, I don't know much about physics. I failed physics in high school. But from what I know, there's something like, you know, you can't really say things conclusively about what you're observing or things change just as you're like because you're observing it. And this is basically at extremely low level of science is is observation changes the reality you know things that we would we would like to say are objectively true well you know the the reality is more like we have a probabilistic under like understanding of it like uh, there's like a, you know x percent chance this is true or uh, or you know this this is actually two things at once and or this represents like a a a fork of the universe that goes in like 11,000 different directions and you know i think the kind of the, it sounds like the uh, allegory you're drawing between that modality of physics and our understanding of reality is is that you know writing and communication is like a like a, a subjective translation from whatever reality is to to something that is like one or two steps removed from that reality it's an observation which is not the same thing as a uh, objective reality tell me more about how you explore if I've got your themes right, how you explore those themes through your writing? Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I agree the the sort of parallel between um, physics as a as a sort of means through mathematics essentially of exploring what what is real around us and language as as another means of exploring things in a in a slightly different way and, and with a different realm of the actual qualia or the the phenomenon that you're looking at uh, i think when you're looking at the world through the, the lens of physical experiment you you're really trying to to narrow things down and get specifics on on the as few variables as 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 possible ideally and within that to to determine one way or another what what, what the outcome is from your experimental apparatus i think what, as you alluded to the at the basic level of the quantum picture of of the world this seems to break down and there are numerous different sort of takes on how how this can all be tied up philosophically but I, 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 it's not really a, a one clear cut resolution to this and so you do have things like observation collapsing the wave function or multiple worlds or you have sort of non-local realist theories that say that, that there's guiding wave that is non-locally operating behind the manifestations of things in, in in the real world and like all all those all those kind of philosophical concerns are can, can be quite distanced from the day-to-day -day operations of carrying out an, an experiment in a, a laboratory it's uh, unless you're specifically looking at the minutiae of quantum operation most experiments carry on in an everyday way without need to resort to that and i think equally with language there's generally we use it every day without thinking and it's nobody really has a crisis of confidence going to order a bacon sandwich in a, a shop or to order a coffee it's mm. it, it, it it just works but when you when you try to sort of focus in a, a, a smaller level there is something very unusual happening with language that, that we we somehow conjure up this 
sense of a self and the the words and the the processes of language that we that we use to describe ourselves in a sense a lot of the time that is how we we feel we are as ourselves but obviously we don't have any you know there's no place that a word exists or 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 a concept exists It's, it's it's something in the mind and that hard problem of consciousness of joining the sort of mechanistic operations of the world around us with this feeling of selfhood and consciousness and being alive at this moment I mean that is something that is is not it's not been solved through physical approach and it's not been solved through a a natural language approach but it seems there seem to be tantalizing hints through both approaches of of the sort of edges of, of that problem and get getting to the edges of that is for me that, that that's what's interesting about about writing mm. it seems like these days we have quite a disagreement about certain ground truths like it's is the certain aspects of certain areas of society just have you know very fundamental disagreements about the ground truths of reality and you know, I don't know if if we had more agreement in the past when there was less information. You know, if, if I, I'm not articulating this well, but you know, just if you go on Twitter, you can just find people who are observing reality in in dramatically different ways, observing the same reality. Do you think it, it, this is healthy for a society that we have un, that we have like d- disagreement about ground truths these days, or like? is it healthy or is this is this like are we are we unraveling our shared understanding of what we dis, like what we <laughs> kind of like the threshold where our society does not separate at the seams uh, like are we are we nearing that threshold or are, or is it, or are we just having healthy disagreements yeah i mean i think certainly some some of the disagreements you see online especially i say they go beyond being like healthy disagreements earth. there's there are there are lots of flat earthers online <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's it's hard well, it's hard for me to to really get on board with anything in that that sort of worldview i mean there is for, for me there is, there is that sort of there is a balance between having being open to other views and sort of i quite a lot of weight in the idea of free speech and the right to say whatever you want however crazy it might be and not be tied to some societal norm that forces you to do things a certain way at the same time when that leads to when these conflicts and tensions lead to uh, you know mass violence or or mass upheaval for a a majority of people that there are I mean those are issues that need to be tackled and i think on a case-by-case basis where where those are seen to be bubbling up into something bigger then people within those bubbles need to decide how how they want to act i mean if you look at the history of mankind there's numerous wars and conflicts that have uh, you know differences of opinions that to us today seem completely insane and bizarre you know i i tiny difference in a reading of a scripture in the catholic church could lead to years and years of conflict and you know a few hundred years ago and now now we look back we don't struggle really to understand 
what that difference was or how it could even be possibly how anybody could think that was an important thing to to fight about but at what point you you and and who is to step in to say okay that enough is enough there's everybody has to get on this page about what's going on that, that's a i mean i think that's a very difficult question to answer in in general so we're up against time i i want to come full circle and ask you about one one other question relating to religion so i read homo deus recently which is yuval noah harari's newest mm. book and one of the things he explores in this book is the idea that, or maybe he, he might have just discussed this in some other interviews that I heard around the time of his book release, the idea that there is going to be some new religions that develop in the the secular or the currently secular West, religions around technology. I don't know. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Do you think that the current atmosphere, because there is, you know, there are people who are uh, so fervently technologically optimistic. I mean, I might put myself in this camp. I'm a you know tech, techno-optimist. I think we can solve all or most of our problems through the invention and adoption of technology. And the degree to which I sometimes radically disagree with, with others who are not techno-optimists does make me feel almost a sense of religious fervor sometimes. Do you think that technology has supplanted religion for the secular west or do you think that the current technological atmosphere is a, a foment for a new religion i think there's there's going to be elements of of both of those viewpoints i think the religions that are in the world today are are going to evolve or, or change quite rapidly and quite distinctly uh, as new ways of connecting with people become more readily available I think there there is some uh, some credence to the sort of technology itself being a religion but I think for most people the idea of religion comes to their own personal existence and ways for them to reach some kind of higher state of of being and if you look through the n numerous countless religions that have been invented to until now there's obviously lots of different ways that preachers or religious leaders have, have sought to kind of pu push people's buttons and uh, convince them of, of their, their way of, of seeing things. I think what, what is going to fundamentally change is once once AI is introduced into the mix, what it is doing is, is fundamentally different. And AI, as far as all, all the evidence shows so far, is, it is not conscious and it's not close to being conscious any time in the foreseeable future what it's very good at doing is intelligently analyzing large data sets and and finding finding essentially the contours of a particular data landscape and if, if that if that data set happens to be human inter interactions human behaviors it's capable of finding the contours of individual desires wants and targeting information to relate to that so I think what what is likely to happen is is that as existing religious organizations or 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 newly formed religious organizations as well as as organizations with a fundamental agenda rather than 
a corporation that's seeking to make money where, where you have an organization whose agenda is to push a particular religious viewpoint as they come to realize the power of ai and put effort and resource into that these ais will start to build a picture of of how how they can best evangelize or convert people and there's going to be a feedback loop as as a say the southern baptist church as they put money into evangelizing their particular brand of christianity they're going to get feedback of okay well this this is really not sticking with people this particular point is (laughs) is is not is not is not working but this this is really this is really going well and there's going to be a natural change Uh, there's going to be internal contention within religious organizations to expand through ways that they can see are effective and to hold to certain core principles and some of those some of those religions are going to say no we're sticking to these core principles if if this if this program is not effective in converting people then we don't care we we're we're sticking to this (laughs) as it is other organizations are going to go well they're going to see the opportunity and 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 change to to adapt to to what is what seems like an opportunity to convert you know say a million people and that those organizations that are successful at that are going to get more revenue and they if they apply that back into further evangelism then there's potential that they can grow quite rapidly and the ultimate form of that religion may be quite different from anything we see today it might be a, a whole new religion and it's it's not that the it's not that the ai has created it on its own it, it's just been following step by step iterations from the people that have been directing it but ultimately in 50 years time it, it may be so effective at understanding how people take that the religion is it's very hard for people to to resist and it, who knows what what shape that religion will be but it, it certainly seems a possibility that, that something along those those lines may may happen in the coming years hmm. well Lachlan it's been great talking to you and you know I haven't read any of your your books or your uh, short stories I'm I'm sure they're good what I can say for sure is that you have clear and well-phrased commentary on our current reality and some probabilistic futures that we might be stumbling into. So, you know, if nothing else, I, I would love to see more of those, uh, the, you know, your, your types of writing. Great. Well, yeah. Th- thanks for, for having me on the podcast. It's been, it's been an interesting conversation.